Jerusalem offered freely for the house of God to erect in its place. Another translation says to rebuild the temple. And according to their ability, everyone say according to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 miners of silver, and 100 priestly garments. Now, just some context for this scripture. Actually, what this is referring to is, remember last week, for those who were here, we spoke about David getting the task from the Lord or the vision from the Lord to build the temple. But then the Lord said to him, you've got too much blood on your hands. You're not actually going to build the temple. Your son Solomon is going to build the temple. So all David did was cast at the vision and he did the fundraising. <laughs> and the people brought and eventually they were like, okay, stop. There's too many gifts now. We've got over like more than enough for the rebuilding of the temple or the building of the first temple, the tabernacle. And so fast forward to the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. The Israelites were now in exile. They were in Babylon. They were casted away. And Ezra was a priest and a scribe. And he was leading some of those Israelites from Babylon out of bondage back to Jerusalem with the task of rebuilding the temple because the temple was left in ruins. And he was calling them and he was saying, can anyone contribute to the rebuilding of the temple? And so the Lord, again, used whatever they had according to their ability to have enough material things to rebuild the temple. But what I love about this scripture, and it was like the Lord was reminding me, you know, we're moving to a new premise, premises at the end of March. Praise the Lord. We are so excited. And uh, 27th of March, by the way, will be our last service here. But I remembered the prophetic word over this church. And I went back this week. We've got a little prophetic journal that we write everything down. And one of the scriptures that the Lord gave us, that he spoke to us directly, was Isaiah 58, which was the scripture right downstairs in the barn that's on the wall. That's how we knew the barn was our venue. We walked in. The scripture was against the wall. It's not necessarily a gospel venue. It's a restaurant. The scripture was on the wall. And Isaiah 58 says that you will rebuild the old ruins. You will rebuild the old ruins. And one of the words that the Lord gave to us in addition to that was that the seed is already in the soil. We're not the first church planters in Namibia. We're not the first missionaries coming in and preaching the gospel. God has done so much work over centuries in Namibia. Namibia has got a huge, huge call of God on this country, on this land, on this soil, on the people of this country. And the Lord said, but a lot has been buried. A lot has been ruined. So there is an anointing, not just on us, on many other churches right now in Namibia, across Namibia, to rebuild the old ruins. Another prophetic word that the Lord gave us was that lost sons and daughters will come home to a house of grace. What does lost sons and daughters mean? It means that somewhere people left the Lord. They were serving the Lord, but maybe the flame died out. Or something happened. They got disappointed or just life happened. But God is calling back his people. He's calling back the remnant. He's rebuilding the temple. And so that just really encouraged my heart big time that what we are busy with is not just a little local service on a Sunday morning. God is busy restoring. He's busy rebuilding. And it's as much for us as a church corporately as it is for us as individuals. God is busy rebuilding families. He's busy restoring relationships. Okay, so I want to encourage you this morning. I'm totally going off the offering. But what we are trusting the Lord for is to rebuild the temple. And this morning I'm going to speak about the church. And it's honestly, I said to the team, I don't know where the Lord's going to go with this because I'm so passionate about it. We might stay here all week to talk about it because I'm sure you've got a lot to share about it as well. But honestly... God will use whatever we have. So I want to encourage you, for those who are honestly led by the Lord, to sow into the rebuilding of the temple. Not just finance, not just resource, but time. Prayer. If there's one thing I can honestly ask us as a church community is to really pray. I actually want to say prayer is more important than the finance because I feel like we can trust God for the finance. That's the easy bit. But it is to press into the Spirit. Lord, we thank you. This is going to be a new season for our church. It's a new season for the church in Namibia. And that's why I thought it was so profound that Jock shared this morning. I didn't tell him, but that's one of the scriptures that he read in the Word this morning. 
So God's spirit is stirring us up at the same time that I am rebuilding. It's time for the church to arise. Do you want to be a part of it? And he's calling each one of us to it. Amen. That was a mini sermon, not an offering. Can I pray? (laughs) Amen. Father, I thank you this morning, Lord, that your word is true and that your word always will accomplish what it is sent forth to accomplish. We thank you this morning, Lord, that you are busy rebuilding the old ruins. You are busy restoring the old foundations. Lord, you've been working in this nation for many centuries, Lord. And Father, we thank you that now, even when we are seeing the rain in the natural, we are expecting the rain in the spiritual. It's coming, Lord. It is here. You are raising up what was before to rebuild what is going to be even better, Lord. And we thank you that you are the one, Jesus, building your church. And so I want to pray, Lord, I thank you for every seed that is sown, Lord, into this particular local vision, into this rebuilding, into this new season that we're going in as a church. And that, Lord, as you lead us to give out of not what we don't have, but out of what we do have, Lord, that you are the one that will multiply the seed and you are also the one that will bring the harvest. So I pray a blessing over every person's finance, over every person's resource this morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I don't want to repeat the church news, but I just want to highlight. So we are going on two outreaches this year, and we want to encourage you. There's different ways that you can join. You can either physically come with us. I was just telling Sam, she went on the last outreach. Pastor Romanus is actually wanting us to come and camp. He's building long drops for us. It's going to be glorious. Nothing will test your faith like a good old camping long drop outreach. It's going to be supernatural. You don't want to miss it. It's honestly the best experience. It's glorious. I mean, um, Johanna sent me a photo of their long drop uh, facility this morning, and I was like, you enjoy that. <laughs> so if you are interested in the first outreach in May, it's going to be the 16th to the 21st of May. We've got a sign-up sheet right outside. It's not set in stone, so don't worry. You can just put your name down if you're interested in finding out more. Um, some people want to get involved by you know, sowing resource. Other people want to get involved by actually coming along. So we want to encourage you, if you want to come along and you just want to find out more information to see if it will be something for you, then please come. Uh, We will let you know as soon as Johannes is back, we will start to uh, plan around info meetings and different things and work out what we are going to do. There's also people from Cape Town that have been calling us. When are we starting to plan? They want to come. So we were like, okay, hold your horses. We first want to give our Namibian uh, church a chance to get on the outreach. So uh, let us know. And you can just write on the sheet, hey, I want to contribute or I want to know what are you guys going to take with or how hey, I want to come along. And then we will invite you to an info meeting soon enough because I think we need to, we need to start talking about it. Amen. And then, as we said, our last service here will be on the 27th of March. So what a season it has been. It's been two glorious years here at the barn, and we're very grateful for them. Uh, We're very grateful that we actually had a venue to start in. But what do we believe God is doing? We actually believe that God is literally taking us to the next phase of growth as a church community. And again, what is the aim? The aim is not to get a bigger venue and to fill more seats. The aim is to reach more people with the gospel. The aim is to raise and equip more people in their God-given purpose. The aim is to see more people walk into what God has for them, get to a place of understanding their purpose, their gifts, so we can see a nation changed. Amen. We've got so much purpose in this room. I want to explode. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Let me just make sure that I did everything that I had to do. Yes. Amen. So are you ready for the word of God this morning? Who brought a Bible to church? Thank you, Sam. The living water. That's perfect. If you've got a Bible, you can turn this morning to Ephesians 1. And I'm going to get there in a moment. But what I want to speak about today is actually a topic that I said to the team is, but I feel like I repeat myself. I maybe say that every week. But this is, if there's one thing that is my number one passion, 
besides the Lord, besides Woolworths, is my passion, 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 my heart of hearts, what gets me on fire is the local church. And the last couple of weeks, I've had lots of conversations. We meet different people and we talk about the church. And, you know, many times when we meet people, the first thing that we make small talk, the first thing we always ask is, well, what do you do for a living? And so sometimes I say I'm in construction and then I get frowns and I'm like, no, I, I have built the local church. <laughs> because sometimes when you tell people you're a pastor immediately, they change behavior. They, Ooh, sorry, I said that, you know, I'm like, yeah, this is okay. Um, so it's always interesting when you, when you introduce yourself as a pastor or you say you work for the church or you work for the Lord or, you know, whatever. And I realized that not everyone, when we speak about the church, not everyone has the same definition of who and what the church is. I mean, not everyone thinks of church the same way. If you ask someone, and it could be anyone in your life, sometimes when you ask people, well, who do you think the church is? Or what do you think church is? Uh, many people will say, you know, it's that building uh, next to Marnie's bike shop, you know, there by the barn, there's a church. Or that building on the corner. Or some people might say, no, 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 we are the church. The people are the church. Um, and, you know, that's correct. That's biblical. But for everyone, there's a different definition. And I really believe that in this time, especially over the last two years, God has really been speaking to my heart afresh this revelation about who the church really is and what the mission of the church really is. Because I think like anything in life, we can forget who the church is. And if we forget who the church is, then we forget what the church is supposed to be doing. And I said to the team this morning, if you've known me, if you've known Johannes, we are not here to cook and tear. We are not here to happy clap without real, eternal, significant consequence and impact. We are very serious about church. And I know that in the next couple of years, we are probably going to offend many people. But you know, I'm encouraged that when I read the word of God, how many people did Jesus offend? Not on purpose, not necessarily trying to be mean, but who gets offended? It's a religious spirit. It's a religious spirit that gets offended. And... Yeah, we are just going to be very serious about church, I mean. And let me not get off point. Especially in these days, not just in Namibia, but all over the world. I feel like there's, among many people, and again, I'm preaching to the converted this morning. So you may relate, you may have people in your world, when you speak about church or you speak about, hey, you know, we had a great service yesterday, you might get these type of responses. There's a, I don't know what to call it. It's like a type of apathy, a type of consumery mindset around church, a type of apathy of it's kind of optional, it's kind of just something I attend, an event I go to, you know, and that's not, when we look at the biblical definition, that's not what church is, that's not who the church is, and that's not what the church's mission is, we're not here to put on a good show so people can be entertained and enjoy it and go home and feel good for a few hours, it's actually so much deeper than that. It's so much more weight in that. It's so much more powerful than that. It's so much more eternal than that. And I honestly believe that my life's mission is to work for the Lord full-time and build the church, the local church. And we're going to talk about what does that actually mean. Jesus is extremely, extremely focused on his church. And we're going to speak about what is the difference between the kingdom and the church, because that's also two different things, I mean. The kingdom and the church is not the same thing. Jesus only taught about the kingdom, but he was all about building the church to expand the kingdom. I mean, are you following me this morning? So anyone here who has studied theology, Jock has studied theology what is theology? It's basically just the study of God. That is theology. And there's a term in theology that we call ecclesiology. 
Ecclesiology, many of you will know what that means. That just means it's the study of the church. It's doctrine of church. Now, when I say the word doctrine, I might lose 80% of you. I'm not going to necessarily teach doctrine this morning, but I am going to get a few hints of that in here. What is doctrine? Doctrine is just right beliefs. It's looking at the scripture and just taking the right analysis and the right interpretation of what the Bible actually teaches on the topic. So what is the scholar's definition of the church? And the notes are in version this morning. I would really encourage you to take notes for this one because I believe that God's going to speak something significant to each one of us, to give each one of us a revelation of who the church is. And I'm going to actually speak about, I said, Johannes, oh, you're away for two Sundays. Can I preach two Sundays? He said, go for it. So next week, we're going to talk about what is the church. In other words, what is our purpose as the church? But today, I'm just going to stand still on who the church is. And because you and I are the church, I believe God wants to speak something to each one of us. So the nerdy word ecclesiology means the study of the church. And the scholar's definition is this. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. All true believers. In other words, all people who are saved in the kingdom, they make up the church, capital C. The church. In other words, people not that attend a gathering. That doesn't make me a believer. That doesn't make me the church. I actually have to be a born again, spiritually born again believer. I have to accept Jesus Christ into my life, accept what he's done on the cross. That makes me a saved believer. It's like Joyce Meyer says, you know, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. It's, it's the same principle. Ephesians 5.25, it's a beautiful scripture that speaks about marriage. And God uses the analogy of marriage to explain his relationship with the church. A bride and a groom. And we know that one of the metaphors for the church is the bride of Christ. We are the bride. Jesus is the groom. And it says in verse 25 that Christ loved the church and he gave himself up, himself up for her. He loved the church to the point of death. He gave himself up for her. Now, the word church, where ecclesiology comes from, the word for church in the New Testament that is mostly used when it speaks about the church is ecclesia. Ecclesia, many of you will know that word. That actually means the following. It means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly, an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a meeting, a company of Christians but also the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth. So we see that there are two things. It's very hard often to translate the Greek into English because it encompasses so much more than what we can translate in English. So in other words, ecclesia, the word in New Testament for church, means the universal church. So all the believers of all time, all over the globe, those who have died, those who are still alive but also the local church, what we have here today. Also the local church, a local gathering, a local expression, a couple of believers gathering together to worship together. And I know this is foundation, but it's very important. God told us also that for the first couple of years, we are going to be doing and teaching a lot of foundation. Because why? If Jesus is the builder of the church, anyone in the building industry... <laughs> You can't build on a terrible foundation. We've got to make sure that our foundations, our doctrine, our teaching is solid, rock solid, so that God can build and he can extend the kingdom on that foundation. Amen. In the Old Testament, the Bible also spoke about the church. But what was the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament? In the Old Testament, God also called the people to himself. He called the Israelites my people. How many times do we read that, those scriptures that says, and I will be your God and you will be my people. And like we read last week, David and Ezra and Nehemiah, they had to build Moses. They had to build a tabernacle. They had to build a physical place for God's presence 
Because what was God's aim? Let's just go right back to the beginning. What was the Lord's aim for all of this, for why we are here? God wanted a family. He wanted a family. He wanted sons and daughters, and he wanted to share his presence with us. That's why he made us. That's why we are here. He wanted fellowship with people. And so in the Old Testament, because of sin, sin separated us from the presence of God. And so that's why before Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice, in the Old Testament, they continuously had to bring sacrifices to cleanse themselves, to purify themselves, to get into his presence, to go into the holies of holies, into the tabernacle, into his presence. But then, praise God, the new covenant came in the New Testament. God poured out his spirit on all people. And because of Jesus, there's now a way for God's presence to live on the inside of us. Amen? So we don't need the tabernacle to access God's presence. God's presence is in us through the Holy Spirit. We are the temple. Our bodies have become the temple. But, don't stop there. You get Christians that say, oh, well, I, you know, God's presence is inside of me, so I don't need the local church. I don't need the local temple. I'm sorry, that's not biblical. And I will argue with you if I need to. To show you it is unbiblical, God also still calls believers in community. He still calls us into the local house, into the local church. But we don't need to only go to the temple. We've got his presence inside of us. But what is the difference in a corporate setting like this? All of us come. We are the church. All of us come together. And there's a corporate manifest presence of God that is different to the presence that maybe I experience with the Lord when I'm at home on my bed in my room. Amen. Does that make sense this morning? So there is a difference between God's manifest presence corporately. He still requires us to live and live together and move together and be together, the church. When we leave the barn this morning, the church leaves the building. Amen? So we are the church, but we still gather as a church. It's very important because in the last two years through COVID, I've seen this spirit of apathy towards the church, this consumer mindset, really increase among Christians all over the world. I see it in South Africa. I hear it from people online. I even hear from pastors and missionaries in Africa, different countries that we've worked in that we still have you know, contact with. It's like, and I know the internet is amazing and it's beautiful and it's powerful, but we can't just have church online. And I'm blessing to anyone watching this on YouTube. There are times where we cannot gather, and what a great blessing it is to watch a message online. I'm not saying we don't need it. We absolutely need it. But nothing, nothing, nothing can replace the corporate gathering of believers. Nothing, no one says, can convince me because of my own testimony, because what God has done in my life and what I see Him doing in people's lives can replace the gathering of the saints under one roof. We're going to look at Acts 2 this morning. And what did it say in Acts 2? The believers were together, not on YouTube, in one place, under one roof. You experienced worship this morning. God's presence is here. He promised us where two of you gather. Yes, he can be online, absolutely. But how much more amazing and glorious when we gather in one place. And my one heart's desire, if I leave anything, I said, Lord, please help me communicate this. If there's one thing that I'm really trusting the Lord to increase in our hearts and increase in our being, it's a fire and a passion and a priority for the local church. And if you are a visitor here and this is not your local church, I just want you to be planted. If you have another local church, I constantly tell people, I'm not telling you to come to our church. I'm just telling you to be part of a church where God is present, where Holy Spirit is allowed to move. It's not about my church or his church or that church. It's all Jesus' church. But we need to be planted. There is power in it. There is so much power in it. 
And there's three principles that I want to share briefly this morning, and I'm praying I'm going to get through all of them, and I'm not going to get sidetracked, but there's three principles that I believe if we stick to that, we can stay steadfast, and we can grow, and we can move powerfully as the church. We don't just cook and deal, but we actually have eternal impact. We actually have change occurring. We have change happening in people, in this city, in this nation. The first principle is this. Ephesians 1, for those of you turning your Bibles there this morning or scrolling, I actually want to encourage you, if you can, this week to read through the book of Ephesians. This is what the scholars would call a beautiful book of doctrine. Don't let that word doctrine scare you. But it's a beautiful piece of writing of Paul to the Ephesian church to talk about who Jesus is in relation to his church. And so Ephesians 1, we're going to read through 22 and 23. It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And he has made him, Jesus, the head over all things for the benefit of the church. In another translation, it also actually says he is the head of the church. Not just for the benefit of the church, but he is the head of the church. And the church is his body. And it is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Jesus, this is the principle, is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. This is very important because if ever we think, if Johannes and I think we are in charge of this church, we are in serious error, biblical error. We are only stewards of something God has entrusted us to facilitate and to build on his behalf. But Jesus is the church. He's the head of the church. We are his body. And we said the metaphors for church is his body, his bride. The Bible also speaks about a family, the household of God. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ, even if we don't like one another. The truth is we're brothers and sisters. Amen. The branches of the vine, John 15 speaks about how the church are the branches of the vine. In other words, you can go into each one of those metaphors and do a beautiful study on who the church actually is. And by looking at those physical examples, we can understand what does that actually mean for us as the church? How do we need to live? How do we need to operate? Who do we need to be? Who is Jesus coming back for? Jesus is not coming back for an event attendee. I mean, he's coming back for the bride. He's coming back. And this is where I think a lot of people for whom... And again, this is none of us here. But for a lot of people for whom church has become optional, you see it manifest in their life in different ways. When it has become optional, there is a consumer mentality. It becomes an event I go to. It doesn't become who I am, how I live, how I make my every decision. We are called to be the church seven days a week. This is just the gathering to encourage us, stir us up, equip us so we can go out again. This is not church. This is just the gathering. Amen? And I know we know this, but I feel like there needs to be a fresh revelation in our hearts about this. For us to really see the power of the church arise. God is also calling the church to be an army. This is JC's favorite metaphor. Gideon's Wehrmacht, only 300, Lord. He said to the Lord, just give me 300. I don't need a mega church, just 300 who are willing to be soldiers for Christ, who are willing to bleed for the kingdom, who are willing. And you know what? Why do I think that people, people struggle sometimes to accept this calling of being the church and even to, to make church on Sundays a priority, to make the gathering a priority, to make the investment into the church a priority? Because I actually realized that it's not easy to be a Christian. I mean, let's be honest. And I think sometimes we're not honest enough with, with new people that we're telling about Jesus. Jesus is not necessarily going to fix all my issues, but he's going to give you the strength and the freedom and the victory and the keys to the kingdom to walk through those circumstances. But Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. To be a Christian 
is actually going to take everything that we've got. It's going to take grit. I don't know what the Afrikaans word for that is. My grit, ne? It's going to take grit. It's going to take sweat and tears. It's going to take working through pain, walking through to victory. It's going to take spiritual growth pains. A lot of people fall out of the bus at the first time where we actually have to walk through a painful thing in our lives to victory. It's going to take commitment. I said the C word. I'm serious. We cannot be the church without commitment. And I'm not trying to recruit here. I'm just saying to be the church is going to take commitment. It's going to take everything that you are. It's going to take everything that I am. But is it worth it? Is there anything else worth pursuing in this world? I'm convinced there is not. And it's not my opinion this morning. The platform is not for my opinion. It's for the word of God. The church is actually the only thing that is eternal on this earth. Think about it. The lives of people who are the church is the only thing that is eternal. The only thing you and I are taking to heaven is those that we've invested into. The work that we've done through the church. The work that we've done for the kingdom of God. It's the only thing that we will be rewarded for. It's the only thing that we can take with. Next for my wheelie stoppies gaan samen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I had to put a joke in there because you look very serious this morning. I'm sorry, I'm very passionate about this. Because I do believe that Jesus is coming back for a bride. He's coming back for his soldiers. He's coming back for the vine, the branches. He's coming back for his family. He's coming back for his sons and daughters. Not an event attendee. Number two principle. Jog read it this morning without knowing. Matthew 16 verse 18. Love this scripture. Jesus is asking people, he's asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him this in verse 18. Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, there are many different scholarly interpretations of that. But Jesus is obviously referring to the Greek word Petra, which means the rock. He's going to build the church on himself as the foundation. Jesus says, I am the cornerstone. The cornerstone is literally that important stone that everything else builds upon. We are the little pebbles. We are the little stones, the Petros. But he is the rock. And I actually also believe that that scripture refers to the revelation that Peter had. Jesus said to him, you didn't think that up by yourself. My father gave you the revelation that I am the Messiah. We need the revelation of God to know that he is the Messiah. We need the revelation of God to understand who the church is and who we are in him. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church upon myself upon the revelation that I am the Messiah, that I am the son of the living God. That is what he will build his church on. Principle one, Jesus is the head of the church. Principle two, Jesus is the one building the church. And you know, this is something that I'm actually in this season really meditating on. Because as a church planter, and I'm sure for you, whatever profession that you are in or whatever work or job you are in, it's very easy for us to go into a place of self-effort, especially when it comes to the things of the kingdom, that we think we are responsible for all the results. That we think we are responsible to do this. And I cannot tell you the peace and the joy it actually brings me that I'm not the one building the church. Because it will actually crush me. Jesus is the one building the church. He is the one adding to his numbers daily. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says that while he planted the seed of the word in their hearts, Apollos gave the water and God made it grow. Can one of the team just maybe check that everything's okay there on the side? Thank you. So God is the one that makes it grow. Amen.
the church is alive. Amen. I am totally running out of time. Let's go to Acts 2. This is a powerful scripture. And I love that the heading in my Bible actually says the believers form a community. Now, we all know the scripture, but we're going to go through it today to remind ourselves in Acts 2. So what happened here? This was the birth of the early church. Okay, this is where it all started. Peter was preaching in front of this crowd. Okay, and he was telling them to repent. He was telling them to turn away from their sinful lives and to be baptized and all those things. And, and so he's preaching, and this is where it starts in verse 41. And the Bible says that those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day 3,000 in all. And as I was preparing, I thought to myself, I was actually in a service in a church in 2008 in Cape Town where on the first day, 3,000 people showed up. And I thought to myself, this is acts in the making. What will happen if 3,000 people in Vintuk shows up at the barn or at Rosewood Academy on the 3rd of April? Here he says, coffee spun. Flesa, multiply in Jesus' name. Children's church in the parking lot. Okay, what would actually happen? Will we be ready? Lord, are there enough people to pray? Are there enough communion cups? Everything has to multiply. Imagine that. God is the one adding to their number. Where are we? Verse 42. And all the believers, see, now they are forming a community. They were added that day. Now suddenly they are called believers. Now they form a community. And this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together, everyone say, in one place. Everyone say, all the believers. And shared everything that they had. And they sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. And verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day. Not just Sundays, every day. We worshiped at the temple every day. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And I love that because when we go through that, it says in verse 41, you can just keep it open there. Verse 41, the born again believers were who? They were the ones who were saved. They repented of their old life. Repentance means what? It, it's not just, oh Lord, I'm sorry and tomorrow I do it again. Repentance means I actually turn 180 degrees and walk in the other direction. I have to walk away from an old life. If I want to see what God has for me, I have to walk away from the old life. I can't stay where I've always been and expect God to do something different. We've got to walk away. I left many things behind, even friendships, even people that I knew were not going to be good for me to walk into this next season. They're not going to be people of faith encouraging me to walk in kingdom ways. They're not going to encourage me to stay pure in all the things that God has for me. They're not going to be a good influence for me. Many people are being kept away from the kingdom because they don't want to let go of things that God says, I've got something better. And I'm not saying we can't stay friends with people who are not in the kingdom, but they can't be our main influencers. Amen. That wasn't part of the notes. Verse 42, the second step says, they devoted themselves. What does the, the word, the word devoted mean? It means continued steadfastly. I love this. The Strong's also says, attended continuously. <laughs> Give oneself to, steadfastly be attentive to. The Bible actually says that we need to come together to grow in the teaching of the word. And because what is the purpose? We're going to talk about that next week. What is the purpose of the fivefold ministry? The apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor. 
it is actually to lead the body of Christ into a place of maturity. Because Jesus wants to come back for a mature bride. So instruction and guidelines and correction is good for us. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. That means to share, to have intimate relationship with, to partake together. And I believe this is one thing where COVID has been terrible, 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 demonic for the church. The big C church and the local church. Because it has taught us that we will be okay alone. That it's okay to be a lone ranger. It's okay to, oh, that's not ek in Jesus. That's okay, I can't die kerk nodig nie. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus never called us to do life alone. Jesus never called us to be lone rangers because I remember that someone shared this analogy with me in the beginning and immediately it was a revelation for me. And the church became a priority in my life because I knew that I, I used to be a lone ranger. I'm very happy by myself. I can watch movies by myself. I can travel. I went to London alone. I went to America alone. Love hanging out with myself. And the Lord said, if you want to go where I'm taking you, it's time to let people in. Yes, because he's calling us to be a family. He's not calling lone rangers. Okay, because what happens with that is when you have a fire and all the coals are hot on fire and together, you know, there's one there at the back, not part of the fire, it dies. It loses its fire. It will die. We are not that awesome that we can stay on fire by ourselves. I, that's what I believe. Like, I don't think we are. That doesn't say I have times of solitude, absolutely. If I don't have that, I go insane. But I'm called to be part of fellowship, of a believing community. It's the same analogy that Jesus uses about the sheep. When the sheep are in a sheepfold together, there is a shepherd doing what? Not slat merilat. It's protecting. It's protecting. It's herding. Um, the, the job of the church leader is to provide spiritual protection. Okay, God has actually ordained human authority for a reason. Again, not to lord over people, not to abuse people, but to take care of people, to nurture people. But what happens to a sheep if it escapes from the sheepfold and it gets lost? It's a target for the wolves, for the enemy. We're not safe on our own. We're not safe outside of the sheepfold. The enemy will come for you, who knows, in the times that you were alone, in the times that you've separated yourself, he's going to come for you. Depression sets in when we keep ourselves away from other believers. Amen? Where am I? Verse 44. Okay, they met together. They helped each other's needs. They were generous. They gave. They worshiped together at the temple every day. For some people, just coming to one service once a week is a sacrifice. I'm not making small, sometimes we have situations and we can't make it. I'm not saying, if you're not going to be here one Sunday, slat lat. I'm just saying, church was a priority for these believers. And if you look through the rest of the book of Acts, angels coming, signs, wonders, miracles, people being healed by walking in the apostles' shadows, there was something that they got. There was something that they understood about the priority of these very basic things that believers do together. But it's almost so basic that we can miss it. And I believe there's so much more that God can do through this corporate gathering when everyone makes the same commitment. Hebrews 10 verse 25, and then we're going to go into communion. It says the following. And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. And not forsaking our meeting together. This is why I do the Amplified, because then you can see what the words actually mean. The meeting together as believers for worship and instruction. That's, that's what the purpose is of the meeting. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. There is power in the gathering. And I don't have time to share my testimony about the local church, but I firmly believe that God used the local church to heal and restore my life, 
to give me back the voice that I was born with, to give me back the identity that the enemy tried to steal from me as a young little girl, and to propel me forward into my destiny, into what he has called me to do. He used the local church. He used an imperfect church. Because can we just get that elephant out of the room? There is no perfect church. And I talk to so many people who have been hurt in church. And I know it's real. There is a sad, real reality. But you know what, church? There's going to be no perfect church. I've been hurt in church. You've been hurt in church. You will still get hurt in church. Because the reality is all of us are imperfect. There's no perfect pastor, praise the Lord. There's no perfect teacher. There's no one that has all the revelation in the world that can answer every single question that you have. God is still a mysterious God. There is no perfect community. There is no perfect coffee team leader, although Sam is pretty, pretty awesome. There's no perfect welcome team leader, but Stefan is very awesome. But you know what? Church, God still calls us to do family together, and it's going to be messy. We're going to need to get into Matthew 18 and apply forgiveness. We're going to have to work through offenses. We're going to have to work through, Marissa said something in the sermon on Sunday. I don't agree with it. That's okay. But can we still at least be in unity that Jesus is king? Okay, we can still talk about it. But I, I just want to make sure that I make the point this morning that the church is important. Us as the church, but also the local gathering of the believers is important. Amen. Lord, help me. There is strength in numbers. The Bible says those who isolate themselves destroys themselves. Principle number three. This is the last scripture. Then I'm going to do communion. There is power in being planted in a local church. Psalm 92, and the team knows this. I probably share it every day. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted, everyone say planted. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. Who desires to flourish in life? I don't know about you, but I want to flourish in life. I will not rarig nie verlepte dooie plankie hee, soos elke plankie in my huis nie. They will flourish in the courts of our God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, we all have different gifts, Lord. Okay, and this was actually, Psalm 92 was a song for the Sabbath day. When you go and read through the whole Psalm 92, it was a song for the Sabbath day. And in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was not only a day of rest, but a day of corporate worship. A day of corporate worship. And I talk to so many people who go from church to church to church to church. Okay, that's awesome. But if he's online and he's based in Tennessee, USA... How does he take spiritual covering for your soul? That the Bible says, your spiritual leaders are accountable to the Lord. I'm telling you, I've got the fear of God on me for that scripture. We are accountable. That's why we do things like membership, so we know how, which sheep are in the sheepfold with us. Because there is a discipleship responsibility from both ways. It's a place where we grow together. It's a place where we serve together, where we take the God's kingdom into the world together. Amen. But if we are not going to be planted somewhere, and I, again, I'm preaching to the converted this morning, but there are people that sometimes have a conversation with me about church and it's okay to find the right church. You know, go and visit. I talk to many people that have said, you know, we've, we've gone here and here and there, but I feel at home here. And that I believe is really important. I believe God will lead us to the local church where we need to be planted. And I don't take offense if someone says to me, I really don't feel like your church is my church. Well, that's awesome. As long as you're in some church, a church, a biblical church. <laughs> that is what is important because if my roots do not grow deep, then I cannot take the nutrients, receive the nutrients out of the soil to grow. And I can't, it's like taking a pot plant and every week I plant it into new soil. I don't know much about gardening, but I do know it will die. It will just not grow. And God has called us to flourish. So I want to encourage people that being planted in the local church is possibly the single best thing you can do for your life to grow in your purpose. And so next week, I've totally gone over time. Next week, we are going to do, we're going to talk about what is the purpose of the church. Because I believe that's really important. 
if we understand that we are the church and there is a great power released through the corporate gathering and, and being part of a local church, then what are we supposed to do as the church? What is actually our mission and what does that look like and where do you and I fit into that? And I'm going to end off with communion this morning and then I just want to pray for some people. And I believe that this is part of our fellowship. The Bible speaks about partaking in the Lord's Supper together. There's only two things Jesus said to his church. I want you to continue and I want you to keep observing those two things. And the one is water baptism and the other one is communion. And this morning we want to receive communion together as a family, as the bride of Jesus. And we want to remember not only what Jesus has done for us on the cross, but what he has accomplished for us. And the Bible also says that when we receive communion together, we also partake of his divine being. We also become one with him. And we look forward to his second coming. The Bible says we actually proclaim his second coming. And so I'm going to ask the team to just hand out communion for us this morning. And we're going to play a song. And I want you to just listen to those words this morning. But before we do that, can we maybe just read Matthew 26 as the team just hands out? And this is Jesus with his disciples just before he was about to be crucified. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And I want you to just hold on to your communion this morning. And as believers, as the body of Christ, the global church, but also the local church. I want you to just listen to the words and just close your eyes and ask the Lord to speak to you about His church, about you being part of His church. And the team can just put that up for us and then I'm going to come up and we're going to receive it together and pray together. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
together as your body. We can come together as your church. And Father, I thank you that just as I was sitting here, the Lord reminded me just that this local gathering on a Sunday is a place of power. It is a place where God wants to meet with us corporately. He wants to speak to us. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to equip us. He wants to fill us up again so that we can go out into the world and be the church where we are. And so this morning, Lord, we receive communion together. We thank you for your body that was broken on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, that as your body was broken, healing is our portion. Healing is ours. Restoration is ours. Because your body was broken for us. Why don't you receive the bread this morning? And just, if you need healing in any area of your life, whether spiritually, emotionally, or physically, just by faith receive healing this morning. thank you for your blood. We thank you for your blood, Lord, that your word says was spilled for us. Lord, and that your blood confirmed a brand new covenant for us. We thank you, Father, that because of your blood, there is forgiveness for our sins. And that it cleansed us and it purified us. And because of that, we can come boldly into your presence. We can come boldly in front of your throne. Why don't you receive that this morning? Father, we thank you that as a church this morning, Lord, as your body, as your bride, as your army, we can come together in your presence and we can partake of communion together as a community, Lord, as a family. And we thank you this morning, Jesus, for all that you've done on the cross for us. We thank you, Father, for your love that was poured out, Lord, that made us now family. And I want to pray a blessing over every person, every brother and sister in this room this morning. And Lord, we want to ask that you continue to speak to us about who the church is and who you've called us to be. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the one building this church. You are the one building the church. Lord, and that you are coming back for us one day. And I pray, Lord, that you would add to our number daily. Lord, that you would strengthen us, that you would equip us, that you would raise us up, Lord, as the church that you've called to make a difference in this city, to make a difference in this nation. Lead each one of us, Father, in this week to come, Lord. May we be the church on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, until we meet again. 
Lord, when we meet in homes midweek, Father, I pray that you would also increase our home cells, that you would increase that place of community midweek, that you would take us to the place, Lord, where you've called us to be. I want to pray a blessing over every person in this room and everyone that's part of our community that's not here today. Lord, those who are at home, I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would bless them in the name of Jesus. We remember, Lord, and we thank you and we honor you this morning. And everyone said, Amen.